Hey everybody, Bloodbath and Beyond Episode 6, I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody, and we've got a good one for you today. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. It's October, it's possibly our favorite time of the year, Halloween season. The leaves are changing. The movies get better because they're horror movies. Before we get to that, uh, uh, a few things happened lately since we're trying to stay up to date. Uh, there was the Guillermo del Toro Treehouse of Horror opening on The Simpsons that was really smashing. Yeah, I haven't seen Treehouse of Horror in some years, but that that clip being leaked online was it was really fun. Uh, you really saw a lot of del Toro's obsessions on display so many references to so many movies even movies that have no mainstream appeal uh so one of my favorite things was the chorus line of every phantom of the opera right down to the phantom of the paradise yeah it was really cool it was really cool and uh you know i'm a huge fan of literary horror so it was a real treat for me to see that lineup of H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Ray Bradbury doodling on the on, doodling on a giggling tattooed man, and Richard Matheson standing next to one of the uh, creatures from I Am Legend. Yeah, it was definitely the Omega Man take, so I'm guessing that's Del Toro's favorite ad- adaptation. And in case you're confused listening to this, and you don't use YouTube somehow, uh, the opening to this Simpsons Halloween special is, it beat by beat is pretty much... Uh, how a normal episode would open, like taking you through Springfield. Uh, and it just does different things, like Homer turns into one of those, the Reavers, or Reapers they're called from uh, Blade 2, and then Carl turns into Blade, uh, stuff like that. And then it has a lot of uh, Penn's Labyrinth references. There's there's references to Ray Harryhausen, uh, the Universal Monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every every Del Toro movie, right down to Kronos. Yeah, Kronos had the the thing in like the grocery store with Marge and Maggie. We have we have Hell we have a Hellboy reference, Pacific Rim in the background at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Even and as you, you know, Homer has another transformation at the end. He is the ghost boy from The Devil's Backbone with the bloodstream floating above his head. Yeah, Simpsons, uh, the Halloween specials have always been a big tradition of my Halloween season. I mean, the show everybody knows hasn't been as great since in the 2000s, really. But it seems like they always really bring it when it comes to Halloween time. And typically. They, they had a really lame, like, 28 Days Later one a couple years ago. I mean, I feel like they should go back to what worked, and that was, like, the more famous horror movies... And the Shinning. The Shinning. Yeah, and uh, Twilight Zone episodes. They did a lot of Twilight Zone parodies. I remember the gremlin on the side of the bus. Yeah, they had the the boy with the magical abilities. He can do anything. They did it with Bart. And a very a very famous Monsters Are Due on Maple Street parody mm-hmm. with, with Kang and Kodos. Uh, and then there was the Krusty the Clown doll that was like uh, the doll episode. And even, uh, which is funny, I, that Simpsons episode completely ruined 
uh, that Twilight Zone episode because there's Tali Savalas playing the dad who buys the doll and he, he's dressed like Homer Simpson. So it was kind of perfect. And I, I can't look at it and not laugh now. Like, See, I, I had never thought about that. and that, That's one of my favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone. Hope, but now that I think about it, Telly Savalas is a dead-on <laughs> Homer Simpson. I feel bad now. I hope I haven't ruined, ruined it for you, too. Well, no, because you know, at the very least, I know Homer isn't an abusive tool like Telly Savalas is in that episode. So this is true. The differences are there. I mean, well, he does strangle Bart, typically. That's true. That's true. But he's but he's good to his daughter. Yeah, he he never raised a hand to Lisa. Um, what else happened? Well, uh, Legendary's Godzilla trailer got leaked. Oh yeah. And I'm I'm gonna say for the record that I'm inclined to believe that this was a controlled leak. I don't the the, the footage quality is way too good for it to have been anything but someone internally putting this stuff out there. It's definitely not cam footage or anything. I remember um, before the David Fincher girl with the dragon tattoo had a trailer. There was a red band, quote unquote, leaked trailer, uh, and it was definitely not. It was like started up by some guy who just got a brand new account. That was his only video, and everyone pretty much realized that was a controlled leak too. It was a clever way to do it because they never had an, another. They never had an official red band after that. So it was a good way to uh, get the audiences excited. I mean, I was well, just... it's, a, it's a good way to get people talking because then they feel like they're part of something. It's not just a trailer they can see anytime. It's like, you must see this right now. Get it before it's taken down. And they, and they did take it down from a number of places. I'm sure it's still floating around somewhere. When I saw it, it was on Tumblr. Uh, it was no longer on YouTube at the time. I'm but... sure it's... Popping up back and forth on YouTube, Daily Motion, oh, uh, whatever. There are people probably uploading it constantly to keep up with the the pull downs, but that's exactly what they probably want. And you know, I gotta say, I had very low expectations, and uh, they were exceeded. I'm pretty excited after that trailer. The trailer was really well done. It's it's a teaser, and it has the Legetti music that was used in 2001: A Space Odyssey. It's really creepy atmospheric uh, chorus singing and robert oppenheimer's famous uh bhagavad gita quoting speech about sort of the fear and terror in his heart when he saw uh the first test of his creation the nuclear bomb which which is very uh it's very meaningful for godzilla given its history as a nuclear allegory mm-hmm. uh, godzilla you know, back to basics, it's always been about that. I'm still worried. I, I don't know how the human characters are going to play into this, but it's it's great to see. You know, we, we see a glimpse of the creature. It's definitely CGI, but the CGI, at least in the teaser, looks pretty strong. Uh, and we see, we see a few dead kaiju laying around in this trailer, which makes me wonder if we're going to see more than just Godzilla this time. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they put a few surprise monsters in it. You know, for the fans. I, I had a friend, uh, he's a huge Godzilla fan, who hated it just because the scream was a little different. And see, and I have a friend that's also an enormous Godzilla fan, and he really enjoyed it, so... I, I personally enjoyed it. I'm not even, like, a big Godzilla guy, like I've mentioned before. But I'll definitely watch this movie when there's more stuff out there. Absolutely. Uh, 
And you know, it's it's by Gareth Edwards, who directed that low budget movie Monsters. And what I, I I don't remember Monsters too well. It's been a few years, but what I remember of it was that it created an impressive atmosphere. And it was mainly about two people uh, wandering the wastes of Mexico after an alien had fallen to Earth, or aliens had fallen to Earth rather. And they were these giant creatures. And we don't really see the creatures very much. Uh, we more see the, sort of the desolation of Mexico and them trying to cross the border back into America, I believe, was the overrunning theme of that film. But what I saw, and, you know, we do get some glimpses of the monsters, and they're, they're, you know, they're impressive enough for the budget they had. But I, from what I saw, he is really good at creating an atmosphere. And that's very Jaws-like. Yeah. Jaws is and, about the human characters and you barely saw the shark. And you know, and I think what the trailer here the teaser trailer does really well is it establishes an atmosphere. Like this is this is definitely the sort of it's very oppressive, it's very shock and awe. We see tons of dead people thrown out of a ripped apart subway train. Maybe maybe that's a shout out to the Blue Oyster Cult song. Oh, Godzilla. You have to remind me about that. Oh, you don't know that song? I don't. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to sing it on air. So if you want to find the song, it was it was very heavily used on uh, TNT's campaigns for their Godzilla marathons back in the day. Uh, they'd make montages of Godzilla movies set to Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla, and I'm sure you can find those on YouTube. So I think that was uh, a reason I had trouble getting into Godzilla as a kid was the movies would start and it'd just be nonstop talking from all like the Japanese scientists with glasses and be like, I thought there was monster. There were monsters here. What's the deal? Oh, I mean, and there are, there are, there are. Uh, I was impatient, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's half of the Godzilla movies are sort of campy pro wrestling kind of movies there. There's a, there's a lot of talking, a lot of built a lot of build up and then you get the monster battles and generally speaking it's laser beams and sometimes Godzilla's throwing an elbow drop or whipping somebody with his tail. Uh but you know they're they're really enjoyable. They were they were really enjoyable to me as a as a youngster. But a lot of them don't really capture the dread of the 1950s version or was it 60s? Uh I want to say it was I think it was 54. I think it was that early. That which is very pretty recent after the the bomb droppings. You're right. It's ni- it was 1954. That's right. Yeah. But I I feel like this if this can recapture that vibe, and maybe not hit us too hard with, and you know it's coming. There's gonna be some 9/11 imagery because that's just that's to Americans what the nuclear bomb is to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that they're going. They're trying to make Godzilla scary again. And he was yeah. only in any any semblance of Godzilla being scary was really just in that first movie. And in a, it, it comes back a couple times in some other films, but this is this is definitely the uh, the version that I think the 1998 version sold us a false bill of goods on. So uh, the the onus is on them to live up to this really impressive teaser. I'm looking forward to more. And you know what? This uh this movie, one of the writers is Frank Darabont. Darabont, who is the writer of, well, the movie we're talking about today. Because as Bert said, 
the color of the leaves are changing and colors are falling out of space because today we're talking about 1988's The Blob. Uh, fair warning, The Blob has absorbed all of our inhibitions about sharing spoilers, so expect a lot of those. So let's get right into it. Absolutely. Um, in case you were not aware, this is a remake of a movie from 1958, also called The Blob. Now it starred Steve McQueen and, well, it was kind of a low-budget or it was low budget and kind of a wonder at the time. It made a lot of money. It became popular, and it was a really unique creature they had designed. And it was made for the shoestringiest budget. I, was it $110,000? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's 1958 money. That's sure. pretty close to a million now, I suppose. And it, it was directed by a guy who made, like, I think he was a minister, and he was used to making, like, promotional Jesus kind of productions in his small town in Pennsylvania. And if I'm not mistaken, it was primarily funded by church groups. Yeah, church groups funded a movie about one of the, uh, I think, conceptually scariest monsters, if you think oh, about it. gosh. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to get to what's makes the, make, what makes the blob so horrifying in a second here, but I do want to make fun of, before we move on past this movie... The fact that Steve McQueen plays the oldest teenager in the history of cinema. Yeah, he's about 28, and uh, he's supposed to be, what, a 16-year-old? Yes. And he, the years show on Steve McQueen's face. This is an older man dressed in a starter jacket. He's, he's like Endless Pete. Or, no, Endless <laughs> Mike from uh, Pete and Pete. <laughs> yes, indeed. Just couldn't get out in ninth and tenth grade. But, you know, I mean, it's it's just a movie about a... A high school kid and his sweetheart, uh, and a meteor that falls from space that brings this awful, amorphous, jelly-like creature to Earth. Yeah. Uh, what was it one of the teens put in the original? Uh, you mean there's a bunch of these meteors hot-rotting it around in the universe? This, this, the dialogue <laughs> is quintessential 50s dialogue. And oh, sure. That's why That's a big reason people still love the 50s movie. And, and in this movie... In the original movie, people are eaten, but they're largely eaten off camera, and it's never too terrifying looking. Yeah. Well, we should probably describe, you know, the blob itself and why it's scary. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, the blob itself in in each version, both versions, is this gel-like substance that falls from space as part of a meteorite. Both movies, it's discovered by a homeless man uh, who pokes it with a stick and gets it attached to his hand. And this thing is a corrosive substance that... It, at first, it just seems like a so some sort of acidic jelly. But we, we learn that it's, it's sentient. It thinks, it moves, it purposely preys on people, and it grows larger as it absorbs them. Yeah, it digests you and you become a part of it. And that's what's... One of the things really creepy about it. Well, it, and especially in the 1988 version, and we're we're definitely going to get to that. Uh, it's in the 50s version. You don't really have to see how horrific it is to be eaten by this thing. In the 80s movie, they show you repeatedly mm. that being swallowed by the blob is an awful experience. You would never ever want to be a part of. I think the old man is the one who gets it worse because it happens so slowly. 
Yeah, because it, it's so small, and it's just building up. Uh, you know, he's he's discovered by the analogs of our, T, of our Steve McQueen and girlfriend in this movie. Uh, who are... Well, the girl is played by Shawnee Smith. Yep. Who you'll probably remember, uh, if you're a horror fan, as Amanda... The assistant of Jigsaw and four of the Shaw, four of the Saw movies. Kevin Dillon uh, is a character that his character uh, who's named Brian Brian Flag, Flag yeah. which you know we Darabont is a huge Stephen King fan. Uh, he's the screenwriter on this one. He'd previously teamed up with Chuck Russell, who's the director of this movie, on Friday the Thirteenth, um, not Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. The Dream Warriors. One of my favorites in the series. It's probably the best one, other than the the original. Yeah. Darabont's a huge Stephen King fan, and arguably, other than Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which a lot of people would argue is not a very proper adaptation of The Shining, but still a great movie, is the best adapter of Stephen King materials. I mean... Dude did The Shining. I mean, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Excuse me. Dude did The Shawshank Redemption. He did The Green Mile. The Mist, which is another really great uh, horror movie. And he's probably best remembered now for the first season of The Walking Dead. Uh, which was actually my favorite season of that show. Same. And, you know, in this movie, he throws in a few Stephen King references, even before he's done any work with the man. Uh Brian Flagg, which is spelled with two G's, is not not only named after the villain of the stand, Randall Flagg, yeah. but also sort of looks like the way that Flagg is described. Yeah, he's wearing his... a jacket very similar, and blue jeans and cowboy boots. And the mullet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Brian Flagg is a pretty laughable <laughs> image of a bad boy. You know, this is, this is 1988. He looks like the younger version of the teacher and Boy Meets World that adopts Sean Hunter. Uh, that reference is going over my head, bro. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> just trust me. There is a there is an English teacher in Boy Meets World named Mr. Turner uh-huh. who adopts the main character's best friend, and he is just a mulleted motorcycle riding bad boy with a heart of gold. At first, I thought, um, I mean, by the time this movie was made in '88, that sort of like rebel teenage biker character was already a cliche. I was just wondering if. Darabont intentionally made him that way to well, it, be a parody. And maybe maybe it's his way of trying to hearken it back a little bit to the 50s mm-hmm. style. I mean, this this definitely takes place in the 80s, but there's yeah. there are little nods to sort of 50s culture, I feel. Certainly. But, I mean, both this one and the original essentially have the exact same setup. Yeah. Uh... Although our our Steve McQueen character, who is the girl, is the is the guy who initially takes Shawnee Smith out, uh, he's a he's a well-to-do, well-meaning high school football player, but he is much less important in this version. As you'll as you'll see later or hear later in the show, he's certainly he's, not the main character. Yeah. No, I mean it. Well, you know, we can get right to it. They pick up the they pick up the hobo whose hand is being dissolved by the blob. Nobody knows what it is. We've seen the hobo try to cut his hand off, and the blob very intelligently clings clings to goes over the wound and absorbs that too, so that he can't get he, so that he can't separate the blob from his body. 
Which makes the horror of it so much worse now. This thing, even if you wanted to just completely dismember yourself to get it away, you wouldn't be able to. Like I said, the old, the old guy might get it the worst. Uh, he's in the running for it. it because it's, it's a slow, horrible, painful death for him. I mean, I'm sorry, but uh, already go there, but the old guy's not going to make it. And he doesn't in either version. Yeah. I mean, he's... They, they no, take him it... to a doctor's office, and <laughs> the doctors don't really seem to care in this movie. I think the original is a little more concerned, but... I mean, there, there's definitely a, an, a very appropriate modern joke of, does he have health insurance? Does he have Blue Cross Blue Shield? <laughs> yeah, I like that with the nurse. But, you know, we have we have our two good teens and uh, Flag, who's supposed to be our motorcycle-riding bad boy, and they're all concerned about this old man. But Flag leaves early. The two the two upstanding teens stay to see if the old man's okay. And our football player, Steve McQueen-type, walks in on what looks like the sheet moving. Yeah, it's sort of, like, bulging. He's... It's the sheet that's draped over our old homeless man. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just... It's bulging, and there's this really gross special effect of his throat swelling and twisting. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we know something is just eating him inside out now. Yeah, this... Uh, by this time, you I mean you have a good idea of what's happening, even without seeing the original. Yeah. And when you pull back that... You, pu- you pull back the blanket, everything under that under the blanket is completely dissolved. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It's just this festering pile of steaming flesh. Flesh goo. It's disgusting. But the blob's already gone. Yeah. Uh... Our our main you know our Steve McQueen type tries to go make a phone call, uh, to call the sheriff's department, and the the blob is already above him, drips a little bit to let him know it's there, and drops right down like a parachute from hell. Yeah, it just it's, completely it's engulfs him. It's it's a really scary effect, and this is like I think one of the more famous uh, effect scenes in the movie. Because you see it really dissolve. Oh my god, it's it's one of the first really upsetting effects. This movie's got several upsetting effects in it. This is one of them. Yeah. Because uh, Shawnee Smith walks in because she hears him scream for help, and he is other than one arm, he is completely submerged in this in the in this gel creature, the blob. Yeah, you see it slowly just dissolving and like misshaping his face and he's screaming pathetically it's really and even, scary e- even actually. His, even his even his mouth is covered in slime so even when he opens it he like it's still just completely over his mouth there's no hollow area yeah like we said getting killed by the blob is absolutely horrible it it's it's nightmarish it they they do a spectacular job on the special effects in this movie mm-hmm. uh <laughs> it's just it's genu- this is the first genuinely upsetting scene in the movie and but it's also a scene that leads to what I think is one of the strangest inconsistencies in this movie too because Shawnee Smith she tries to save her boyfriend uh she pulls his arm his arm comes loose and but she, she hits her head on the hospital door and faints yeah and then the then she's all right the blob is totally gone i guess everything of paul is gone except for the arm but apparently it took the arm, too, because I didn't find any part of his body. Oh, that's true. So it's like the blob knew he <laughs> could get caught. I don't know. 
I don't really know. It, 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 but it completely leaves her alone. We don't see it leave her alone. We just know that she passed out, and then we, we fade to the sheriff's leading her out, and she's hysterical and sad, and they don't believe her that this this creature from space has fallen. Mm-mm. And, you know, and Brian Flagg is blamed, because he's already left. You know, he he's a rebel. He's going to do things his own way. Yeah, they've already established that the cops around this small town don't really care for him he's kind of a punk and but you know it's but it's really inconsequential they let him go there's no i'm actually very thankful the movie did not linger on oh the cops think brian flag killed that guy i'm glad that yeah, cause it didn't last longer than like five minutes the sheriff in town is very reasonable reasonable about it he's just like he's a punk but he's no killer yeah speaking of the sheriff yeah, that's a, a he's a Frank Darabont regular. He appears in uh, The Mist, and he's probably best known now to audiences as Dale from The Walking Dead. But you know, we we've had our first kill, so now we are now we, we firmly move over to the the territory of the slasher film that sex is death, because we go to Paul, uh, our Steve McQueen, uh, Paul's football playing buddy who we saw buying condoms earlier in the movie on his date hmm. on a on a hill overlooking the hospital. That's his little makeout area. He even has like this really, it looks like a rapist bar in his trunk <laughs> God, preparing his cocktails. For a girl that, that clearly isn't ready to have any kind of sex with him. Yeah. Uh, and you know, yeah, but he goes to his trunk. He's gonna make it up. She's she's passed out in the car. We can see we we hear and see the blob slithering down the hill as he's making his very alcoholic drinks and att- and, a, and a clear attempt to date rape her later. Well, he actually tries to, but oh no, the joke's on him. That's right. He, he's he's unbuttoning the blouse of this passed out girl, reaches in, and his hand is absorbed into her breast. Well, this is the first time we see that the blob can form tentacles to attack people, because that's what it does to this dude. Yeah, but he's he's clearly somehow very quickly eaten this girl inside out. Yeah, I guess it ate her insides and filled up her skin, which is really creepy. Because her because her sleeping head turns to him and implodes. Pretty <laughs> gruesome. Awful. It's, it's awful. It is horrible. Yeah. Especially because, you know, again, this girl is a blameless victim. I mean, I enjoy seeing the date rapist football player get his comeuppance, but at the expense of a girl who didn't deserve to die. Not at all. So, you know, but but he's he's very quickly eaten, uh, you know, and we this thing is clearly much bigger than it was in the hospital now because it's just chowing down these people very quickly. Yeah, and this leads into uh, probably the most famous scene in the movie at the diner. Well, because, uh, you know, by now, uh, Brian Flagg and uh, Shawnee Smith have gotten together. They're, she's trying to figure out what happened to her, you know, to, to Paul, because she knows she knows what she saw. Nobody else in the town believes her that there's a creature, but she knows what she saw. And, she, and she's hoping that Brian will help her figure out what it is or how to handle it. Yeah. Because, because he's the only other person that's experienced it. Yeah, this... This movie could have turned into, like, a, a Scooby-Doo story. But thankfully, that does not last long. No. I mean, it's... 
almost instantly. Yeah. Because um, poor old Fran, the really sweet waitress at this uh, particular diner, well, it's not going to turn out too well for her in the diner. Which, again, is very upsetting because Fran is such a likable character. She's a total sweetheart, yeah. She's very nice to flag, even though everybody in the town hates him. She, you know, she she's uh she gets flirted with by the sheriff, who seems to genuinely like her, and she's very receptive to that too. Like, she seems to be the town's sweetheart. Like nobody, she doesn't really give an impression that she's bad to anybody. Yeah, we but, and she has to witness one of her coworkers, who's also very nice to her, get sucked down a drain. Yeah, that that's the scene we we're kind of leading into, like. It has a great build-up. The dishwasher man, I guess he's like the line cook. He's got like a plunger over the drain. It seems to be clogged. And then all of a sudden, huge blob tentacle grabs him by the face and starts sucking him down this tiny drain hole. And it's it's spectacular and horrifying. (laughs) There's blob goo and then there's blood squirting out everywhere. Because... It is it is dissolving him and compressing him so that he fits almost perfectly down the drain. Yeah, like, uh, really great editing because you can see, like, this perspective of just, like, of his feet. And they're sort of getting, like, crushed together. And then there's blood squirting out. It, it's disgusting. And, par- and parts of the pulp parts of the uh, pipe bulging as yeah. the blob struggles to pull him completely in. Uh, this This particular scene was what traumatized me as a child watching this film it came on tv after i had like a t-ball game or something and my dad's like hey bert bert blob's on tv you might like this i kind of liked it but that really bothered me well i mean this is the perfect representation of being afraid of the bathtub drain yeah that's that's a, that's a fear most kids go through but you know, I just think I'm going to get sucked in by a whirlpool. I don't think this blob from outer space is going to rip me apart me. and dissolve me. Yeah, yeah. just this this, um, this amoeba from hell is going to just slowly swallow me and pull me in into bloody chunks. Yeah, and uh, you did that clever little uh, color out of space. And you mentioned to me earlier that blob is kind of Lovecraftian in a way. Oh yeah, I mean it's a, it's definitely a cosmic horror story in the vein that cosmic horror is intended. I mean, what really most people just see uh, Lovecraft as somebody who you know created Cthulhu and these elder gods, and you know it just has creatures with tentacles. And to be sure, the Blob has tentacles. But the great the great contribution of cosmic horror to horror literature is this deep seated pessimism about sort of things from beyond our perception and our ability to understand that aren't necessarily aren't necessarily acting in malevolent ways toward us like they can destroy us in a heartbeat they could they could wipe out the universe or the human race and to be clear if this thing isn't stopped it will devour everything that everything that's alive Mm -hmm. and cover the earth i mean it's it's like that uh the logo what is that paint company um Sherman Williams? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the Sherman Williams paint. There's the, Their logo is that sort of paint covering the earth. And I oh, it is. Yeah, you're that. right. That's actually a perfect representation of what the blob could do unchecked. But, you know, and in Lovecraft's writing and also in the writing of cosmic horror, 
the creatures aren't like Dracula or slashers or other things that have malevolent intentions for the human race. They are things that are completely apathetic to us other than as a food source or as, or even, even less than that as something that just, if we tried to come to terms with them would completely destroy our concept of reality. Uh, And the blob is not, it's sentient, but it doesn't really seem to have any motivation other than to feed and, expand yeah there's no empathy in this thing it's incapable of it it's just a thing it's just mechanized eating it's 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 a perfect monster in a way because there's a the great trailer for this movie it's like if it had a mind you could reason with it if it had a face you could look it in the eye if it had a body you could shoot it um it's it's and, cheese and ball, you can't do any of those things it's true it's clever i like it well it I mean, and the horror of it is that it's, it, it is a massive thing that can eat you, but it can fit into any space. And it only gets bigger with each. And no matter how big, but no matter how big it gets, it can cram itself through vents or through pipes or through anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it explodes in spectacular fashion up to the ceiling of the diner. It's chasing, it's chasing Fran and the kids. Yeah, the uh, kids go one way into the freezer. Fran goes out the door unwisely to a telephone booth. The kids no in the freezer. The kids sort of get the first taste, and they don't piece this together yet. But they get their first taste of the fact that the the blob has an aversion to coldness. If it had a weakness. That would probably be the only one. Because it tries to it tries to seep under a, a meat locker which they've run into, and it it just it withdraws away, and just decides to go after Fran, who is an easier prey. Uh, Poor Fran. Oh god, it's awful. This is actually I think this is the to me this is the scariest scene in the movie. Um Fran is in a phone booth trying to call the sheriff who gave her his phone number earlier when he was flirting. Yeah. He's and he's already planning to come because she wrote in his receipt I get off at 11, so we're supposed to have like a little a sort of cute little romantic subplot between those two. Uh, but you know, but she's she's calling on the phone all the while. The blob is sort of oozing over the phone booth, and it's just very claustrophobic and awful. Uh, mm-hmm. She makes the call to the nine one one dispatcher, who says, "Oh, the sheriff already went out to the diner." <laughs> and this is the oh god, the blob loves to play seafood. Yeah, because it it just throws the dissolving body of the sheriff up against the glass for her to see in her last moment. Oh my god, yeah, it has that horrible Hitchcock angle overhead, and and she's in the phone booth, and you see the blob from all sides. It's totally hopeless. And the worst part about seeing the body is, this is the first time, like, we've seen him, we've seen the blob sort of pulling people in and doing things to them, but this is the first time we've seen what happens while it's digesting you. Yeah, just you start withering away and becoming part of it like, like the sheriff's mouth is open in this impossibly impo- impossibly large scream like his jaw is completely distended and it's just sort of flowing and dissolving away into nothing Ugh. yeah then fran she just gets the phone booth gets crushed uh she gets crushed with it the angle they use on that it's extremely effective and it looks it's actually one of the more real-looking effects in the whole movie. Like, I can yeah, totally it, buy it. Because we're we're sitting above... The camera's positioned above the phone booth from the interior. And just as the blob comes in, it just looks like a, a tidal wave of 
blob. Blob, yeah. It's 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 a it's just this awful plasma thing. I keep saying awful in this episode. <laughs> well, it it is. It is. It is. Uh, but you know, we have it's just this plasma thing, and we we just watch her body get thrown around. <laughs> And this is also the first taste we get right, right immediately after the scene. This is the first taste we get of the uh, the preacher, Reverend. I think his name is Reverend Meeker. Yeah, Reverend Meeker. Yeah, Reverend Meeker, who's played by Del Close. Uh, Del Close is a very famous uh, improv coach. He taught a lot of really famous people, including Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis. Tina Fey, just pretty much anybody that's been somebody on SNL at some point, Del Close has taught them some of their improv, improvisational chops. Uh, he was also a comic writer. He wrote a DC horror anthology series called mm-hmm. The Wasteland with John Ostrander. Uh, and he's a professional fire eater, which will come in handy later. It does, actually. There's uh, some pyrotechnics later on. But he's, uh, you know, he's. But he also wrote a story about a blob, uh, and that was something he brought with him to his audition, which impressed Darabont and Chuck Russell. So, he. But he he plays this sort of, even even in this stage of the movie, he's clearly a very extremely religious man, more so than your average priest, I think. Mm-hmm. He's very uh, doomsday fixate, fixated. He, he's he, he's very interested in watching the blob slither away into the sewer. And again, I feel like this is somewhat of an inconsistency in the blob's role in this movie, where it seems to very very mindlessly pursue anyone within its proximity, but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I'll forgive it. Yeah. I'll forgive it. Sure. But, you know, but he watches it slither down the sewer. You know, he goes into the diner. He finds some frozen bits of blob in the freezer and puts it in a mason jar for later. Mmm, delicious. Mm. And, you know, he, he's just very fascinated by it. Uh, but, you know, we move on to uh, the inv- the kids investigating the blob in the woods. Mm-hmm. They want to know more about where it came from and what it is. And all of a sudden, we have like the uh, biohazard commandos surrounding the area. Yeah, it's this was post ET too, so we're we're used to seeing these kind of guys show up in alien scenarios. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's it's almost a little ET ish. Yeah, they're they're led by this one scientist who looks like a sweet old man, and he's very comforting to uh, our heroes. And he's like, except for except for Flag, who who, upon hearing like, get in my truck, you'll be my patients. That sounds like being a prisoner to me. I have a problem with authority, man. That was that kind of line, basically. But he's you know yeah, doc. I think his name is Doctor Meadows. Doctor Meadows, yeah. Doctor Meadows, he seems like a very affable man. You know, he's explaining to them, oh, we think, you know, something fell from space, and we think that it could be, you know, a some sort of plague or a contagion. So we just really want to make sure you guys are okay. We're gonna we're gonna take you into our truck. We're gonna take you back. Just make sure you medically clear out. Mm-hmm. But you know they they don't comply ultimately. Nope, because well, really just flag flag busts out of the van with uh, a few of the socket wrenches he had earlier from his boss, played by Bo Billingsley. For all you Cowboy Bebop fans, he is the That's American right. voice of Jet Black. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, yeah, but it turns out Flag is right not to trust the Doctor. No, the, because Flag goes back to the site to get his, his motorcycle, and he overhears them talking, and he sees what the, uh, com- or the meteor actually is, and it's like a man-made this is the, meteor. This is the biggest deviation from the source material, too. Yeah, the source, it's like an unknown thing, and here uh, it's explained that it's a military... A germ warfare experiment gone awry. Where they put like a killer germ in space. And somehow it's evolved into being the blob that we know. The the, the doctor's very impressed by that. He's like, oh, it's it's evolved. This this germ that was just meant to infect has evolved into something that that chases prey. We must capture this thing alive. And I swear to you, this is maybe the thing I understand the least about this movie. Because I do not understand how this thing was ever a good plan. No. Uh, because the doctor explains that the the idea they had for putting a germ into space and making a blob was that it was going to put us light years ahead of the Russians. Yeah. In regards to warfare. So, so apparently the plan was to, you know, oh, nuclear power, we've gone as far as we can with that. We need to invent a blob that will eat all of Russia. Yeah, it... It's like, what would you have to uh, take over after that? There's just blob land. You can't stop it, which uh, one scientist explains, a dissenting voice explains to Dr. Meadows. Yeah, but he he doesn't care. Like, he ah. just sees this as like, this, this is his huge breakthrough. Everyone is always going to remember Dr. Meadows for being the man that made a blob possible. Uh, I love the the line, the one scientist, he says, like, it's probably about a thousand times bigger than when it originally started. And by <laughs> next week, there might not be a United States at this rate. <laughs> I love that kind of horror. It, it reminds me of uh, the thing where uh, Wilfred Brimley does a little scenario and he sees how long it would take for the thing to uh, assimilate the planet. And it gave like an approximation. I like that kind of horror. Well, and again, and that and that goes back into the literary tradition of cosmic horror, which is that if any of these awful things in the universe that exist on a slightly different plane or something became aware of us, or even considered us worthy of being acknowledged, they could wipe us out in a second. Mm. Like with a, and it wouldn't even be a malicious act; it would just be something that this, that they just do because that's their nature. But uh, yeah, it, it, I just I don't really buy the blob as a weapon of mass destruction but you know maybe that's the satirical point i mean maybe that's kind of where we're going with even you know even bringing up nuclear power is that these weapons don't ultimately make a lot of sense because you can't put that genie back in the bottle but here it's very silly because i mean you know even at least with nukes there's you know there's definitely fallout but the damage is a controlled a level of damage yeah i mean between this film and 30 years from the original there had been decades of Cold War paranoia. There had been Doctor Strangelove. There, had been, there was Failsafe, the movie. There had been the Andromeda Strain. There had been decades of Bond villains. Yeah, like, and it makes perfect sense for the Blob to have this uh, germ warfare context to it. Well, especially because in the 50s, people were already attaching the idea that the Blob was an allegory for uh, communist fear. Yeah, like, so was uh, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know. There we go. But it, I, I just, I find that very silly, and maybe it was deliberately so. Yeah, I mean, at its core, it's like, well, it still is like a giant 
malignant pile of ooze. But the the blob here, I mean, by this point in the movie, it's deviated significantly in the way it move, way it, the way it acts or the way it looks from the original. In the original, it's really just a lump of goo. Here, like, it looks like it has like veins in it almost, and it can make tentacles. It looks a little more solid. Oh, it it becomes an incredibly tentacular, more anatomically horrific it's, thing. It's more disturbing, yeah. Way more disturbing. <laughs> but you know, we we go to uh, probably one of the more iconic scenes of the original film. We go to the movie theater. Yeah, because Meg has just found out that her little brother's still at the movies. Her her little brother and his friend, who, okay, they they've they're watching a clear you know joke on Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very silly movie. It, it was kind of amusing to watch uh, a guy in a hockey mask with a hedge trimmer threaten a couple counselors. Um, the the <laughs> the friend of her little brother pissed me off so bad. He's such a little asshole. Well, he's Sorry. wearing he's wearing headphones in the movie theater. I like but... that in the movie theater. There's like this jerk sitting behind <laughs> him who's explaining the whole movie to his date. Watch this. Watch this. He's gonna go in the cabin. She thinks she's gonna get away, but he's gonna hit her with the hedge clippers. Oh, this is the part where such and such. He's gonna kill her with a hair curler. Yeah. And like, and the in our you know the little brother keeps turning, going, "Hey, can you please stop?" <laughs> But, you know, the guy is just completely rude. He's, and, uh, you know, and we cut to our projectionist up there. Yeah, the uh, the blob makes its way through a vent. Again, uh, you know, before he's eaten, we see him playing with a yo-yo. What a dork playing with his yo-yo. But he's, he's sucked into the air vent. The manager comes in and sees the yo-yo go up and down as the man's dangling from the ceiling because the only thing that still isn't absorbed is one of his fingers. Yeah. But even worse than that, the whole ceiling is just blob tentacles and veins and this man's screaming face. Yeah, it's like his face is all partially molten like the toxic waste man in RoboCop. And then the tentacles grab that usher and... And then uh, it has a, then it pulls the annoying guy sitting behind the kids at the theater. It's a great little like uh, segue into that. The kid keeps turning around to tell the guy to shut up. And and you know and everybody turns around pretty quickly because the blob, as large as it is now, has already absorbed the film equipment. Yeah, I like that it covers up the projection and then the the screen is all red. That was a really cool effect. Yeah, and it busts through, and this is another one of those sequences that is nightmarish, especially if you saw it at a young age. It was to me. Because because now we have a strobe effect in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it... Oh. <laughs> it duplicates the people running out of the theater, which is really famous in the blob, and they have Blob Fest in Pennsylvania, where the original was shot, and... They ever all the fans reenact running out of the theater. They just love it because they've restored that same theater, which yeah, is really the theater, impressive. yeah, that's pretty cool actually. I'd love to go there someday. Same here. A future episode. Yes, but the, yeah, but they uh, they replicate that. But we also just have this strobe effect of 
because our, because our main girl, uh, Shawnee Smith, has arrived to rescue her little brother. And when she runs in, she just turns and sees this image of the blob with, like, you know, and the strobe light is going, and it's just grabbing people left and right. There's a there's a partially melted woman laying on the floor. Oh, that was so nasty. Like, half of her face is just completely melted it's off. It's like she's glued to the floor. It's really sick. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, but Shawnee, her brother, and her little brother's friend Eddie, uh, they escape out out of one of the back doors. The Blob again suddenly very interested in them specifically. Mm. So it, it so it's chasing them down the halls and into the sewer. Yeah, uh, it gets the kid's jacket gets stuck in the uh, the door, the exit. <laughs> that, that was foreshadowed earlier with him. Uh, putting on his jacket, and he's like, oh, my zipper keeps getting stuck. Oh, I hope that doesn't hurt you in the future. Oh, it does. It does, it does. But, you know, he, he manages to narrowly escape, which which makes you have a false sense of security that, as in most horror movies, kids have plot armor and aren't going to be harmed. Uh, well, this movie said gives double birds to that. Yeah, this is this is not... This is not Lexi and Tim in Jurassic Park. No, this isn't Bart and Lisa. I know something will save the two Simpson children. No, because... Oh, man. They... Within minutes of being in the sewer, they... You know, there's there's a nice little setup for the blob in the sewer, too, because it's, it's clearly underwater. Uh, they're noticing these rats floating by on trash, and then they sort of turn and look, and the rats aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And it just... It, it grabs Eddie, the, the headphones kid. Oh, yeah. And then it's while Shawnee and her little brother are climbing up. Well, I want to complain real quick again, because Shawnee, like, at least three times now, has gone back trying to rescue somebody being absorbed by the blob. Yeah, it's that's not a winning battle there, honey. No, it ain't. You know, she she pulled the arm off her boyfriend. She tries to dive in back for little Eddie. And I thought, okay, they killed a kid. They're going to keep that off camera. Oh, hell no. No, no they don't. <laughs> we because see the that... partially digested kid, and it's horrible. Well, because he's thrown back up. Like, he's stuck to gum. Yeah. And he is just this screaming skeleton of a boy now. He's, he's all molten and screaming. It's horrifying. <laughs> Shawnee's reaction is so legit. <laughs> like, yeah. like she's th- she throws her hands up in the air. She's just done now. I know I tried to jump in the water to save you before, but I cannot. That was a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, it's and it it just sucks him back in very quickly. Yeah, that was one of the that's one of the best like jumps. Well, it's not even really a jump scare. It's just one of the best scares in the movie, I think, because it went there. Yeah, because because now we know no one is safe. Yeah. Anything can happen. And uh, Shawnee and her little brother uh, are rescued by a few of the uh, hazmat commandos, I'll call them. Uh, but, of course, they have, like, AR-15s, and those ain't going to hurt the blob. And one of them's Bill Mosley? One of them's Bill Mosley, who's carrying around a bazooka. Shawnee Smith gets rescued by uh, uh, Kevin Dillon. And they're in the sewer. Well, her, her little brother got away in the uh, from the sewer, and he's headed over. He, he could fit through the grating, but she couldn't. Yeah. So Flag Flag goes into the sewer to save her. Yeah, and so we see... But not, not before Dr. Meadows is a total prick. Mm-hmm. 
because he he looks down the sewer because Doctor Meadows' idea is that we're gonna contain the blob in the sewer. Yeah. They're they're shutting they're shutting all the valves off to keep it in one spot. Uh, there's one of the three hazmat guys left. That's Bill Mosley. He's oh man the the, the line he says. You tr- they tried I heard them trying to scream but they can't inside of it. Yeah. Bill Mosley's little performance is pretty good. He looks legitimately freaked out. And the doctor just the doctor just orders, "Hey, you know what? I'm looking down the sewer. I see this kid that ran away from me earlier and heard what I'm all about. So just shut them in there. Put the, put the put the manhole cover back on and drive a truck on top of it." Oh yeah. Of course, in one of the more ridiculous scenes, uh, Kevin Dillon says "F that," and he uses a, a little rocket launcher to blow the blow the lid off, to for him and Shawnee to escape. We never see Bill Mosley again, do we? Or do they? No, I, I must, I'm, I'm presuming he must have been eaten. Yeah, well, that's too bad. But also, I want to come. You said one of the most ridiculous scenes. There's another completely ridiculous scene in the sewer with Kevin Dillon, uh, with Flag there, where he. He gets on his motorcycle. Oh, and drives over the blob? The blob has filled three-fourths of the sewer pipe. He has Shawnee Smith on the back. He does... He drives his motorcycle like he's going to play chicken with it, and then does a complete rotation through the tube where his motorcycle rides, like, against the very top of the sewer. He was going so fast. And right? he, immediately wipe, he immediately wipes out, though. So, you know, he has this crowning moment of stunt work. I mean, in the beginning of the movie, we see him try to jump yeah, a that small was a gap in a bridge. Yeah, that was for this eventual stunt. Yeah, we, we saw him do a small jump on a bridge and fail. You know, we see him do this. So I'm willing to suspend my disbelief a little because he keeps wiping out, but I still think that's such a silly little scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so they, they escape with a bazooka. They're, they're on the street. The doctor is already trying to turn everybody against uh, Flag and Shawnee. Yeah, the flag kind of calls to attention to the fact that, wait, how 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 did all of these hazmat guys know to come here immediately after a meteor hits in this little dinky town? Right, the same night. Now, so far though, it's it's very weird to me that they, the the doctors and the scientists assume that no one is going to have seen the blob and survived. So they're just they just keep telling people it's a little germ and that flag is contagious and no one should listen to him nope there's a there's a bit of a mexican standoff with machine guns yeah but then the the uh well the title villain pops out of the sewer and grabs dr meadows yeah and this is a really cool effect too because you see he's been pulled like halfway into this manhole on the street and and the blob starts to fill up his hazmat suit inside Oh, and the glass. You just see the glass visor. And Dr. Meadows, as much as much crap as he's given and as much grief as he's given for people about not killing the blob and how he wants it alive and how he just finds it so fascinating, he does not want to die. No, who would? No, no, no. I mean, it's it's very reminiscent of the uh, the scientist in Akira. Oh, getting crushed to death. so fascinated by Tetsuo. Yeah. And who is, you know, destroyed. Well, these came, <laughs> out, uh, these came out the same year, didn't they? Yeah. Huh. Must have been something in the water. Something in the water. Odomo maybe did the storyboards. So the blob is almost Tetsuo-ish at times. Especially when it gets veiny and yeah. tentacly. So, but, uh, 
yeah, I mean, Meadows, his, just watching his visor get filled up to the point of it bursting. That, that was a really clever way to do it. Oh, another one of my favorite bits here, too, is that uh, Dr. Meadows has been accompanied by this colonel. Yeah, he's kind of this two-fisted colonel who's always just wanting to shoot everything. You know, he has all of his soldiers surround the sewer manhole and just fire machine guns into it. He throws a He throws a bit of plastic explosives into it and thinks that's handled it. Yeah, but... The the blob explodes into this pillar and just immediately goes to flatten the colonel, who... I love this little bit of business where he pulls the, the pins off all the grenades he's wearing. Mm-hmm. He knows he's going to die anyway, and it does nothing. <laughs> the nope. grenades... I think I think at one point when when uh, when Shawnee Smith and Flag are running away, you see a slight red flash inside the blob, but that's <laughs> the that's the full extent of the damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, like this, the movie really, I guess, from the movie theater sequence onward, it's full on giant monster movie horror, like, and it's just and... scooping up people left and right down the street. Oh, it flattens one guy. Yeah, like with a slap, like whack. Like, and, he, and they, they, when the when the tendril pulls back, you see the guy is completely flat, like a cartoon character. Yeah. This, I, I, I gotta tell you, this is probably the part where the special effects work least for me, and I know it's a constraint of the budget and the time, but when when the blob is smaller, and even I, I say smaller, and that, that includes like up to fifty feet, mm-hmm. like it's. The special effects are a little tighter. Uh, well, they could have more control over, or better control. They could, and it's really, and it would have been impossible for them with the budgets and with their budget and the the uh, special effects abilities of the day. But it's it's clearly on a green screen from the sewer onward. Mm-hmm. They like they didn't do a good job erasing the matte lines, so the, the clear the a lot of the actors are definitely acting against the backdrop. They didn't spend it, too much time cleaning it. It still works, but... Yeah. It's still good. Um, it's still scary in a way, because the blob marches down all the way to the town hall. It starts eking through the door, and it uh, grabs Paul McCrane and snaps him in half. Um, Paul McCrane, who is the uh, the toxic waste melting man from... Robocop. Man. Robocop, right? Yeah, Paul, people mention, oh, Sean Bean. He always dies death, really horrible deaths in his movies. I say Paul McCrane is, has it even worse. At least his characters do. Paul McCrane, It's a good day for Paul McCrane when he doesn't get melted in a movie. <laughs> Broken in half, crushed, tortured to death like he was in 24. Uh, I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting. But he was kind of like this Barney Fife cop in the movie. So uh, he didn't yeah. deserve to get broken in half. But, you know, we also have a, we also have a bit where <laughs> the, the preacher who we saw earlier uh, is standing beside one of the, one of the uh, hazmat guys with a flamethrower. Yeah. And the blob just sticks one of its little tentacle fingers into the flamethrower, explodes on the guy. And burns the burns the preacher, which you know we go back to uh, the the guy who plays the preacher, Del Close's fire eating ability. He he insisted on being lit on fire, so he does his own fire stunt here. Pretty cool. And his and and Shawnee Smith puts him out with the fire extinguisher. Yes, to which he uses on the uh, the blob itself, and it reminds her that the thing has a weakness against cold. 
does not like cold. And I think that's how they killed the blob in the original. Well, not kill it. They froze it in the original. It's just yeah. the whole town gets a fire. Ex- everyone in the town gets his own fire extinguisher. Well, and you know, and in the original too, they exile it to the uh, the polar ice caps. Yeah, and I love uh, Stephen Steve McQueen. He's listed as Stephen McQueen in that. He goes, uh, oh, well, as long as the polar ice caps stay cold, what if it's <laughs> yes. not cold? But, you know, it, it even then, before they were thinking about things like global warming, it ends with the end question mark after he says that. <laughs> but, you know, is that Al Gore's inconvenient truth? We have to stop carbon emissions or we're all going to be eaten by the blob. Well, you know, yeah, they, they covered that up in history. There was the blob incident in the 50s. We should have listened. Yeah, but uh, by this time, the blob is trying to work... In this movie, is trying to work its way into the city hall, or town hall. Because that's where all the remaining people are. Yeah, they've all they've quarantined everybody into that delicious building. Delicious people. So, Kevin Dillon... Apparently, he, uh, Bo Billingsley... I think it's like a ski resort town, even. Yeah, they have a lot of signs up promoting uh, their snow machine and their artificial winter and skiing. Yeah. So he gets like a snow snowmaker mobile, and it's, it's yeah, it's a really big like CO two tank machine that makes snow. So he starts firing at the blob, and then they have like the car kind of crashes into the blob. So, and this is kind of how you have a good feeling that they're gonna beat the monster this way somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Sean, he he gets knocked, he gets knocked over. Shawnee again, just, you know, decides that she's going to throw herself out there to save somebody who's probably already doomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time, for good reason, she's been, fl- you know, she and she and Flag have been developing this relationship throughout the movie, and they're starting to like each other. Yeah, all through traumatic experiences. Yeah, so she, you know, she uses some of the soldiers' plastic explosives and puts it on the CO2 truck, blows it up. And the blob is frozen into beautiful crystal crystals of rock salt. Yeah, uh, then Bo Billings, he's like, let's get this to the ice house. I'm like, okay, at least they have an ice house? To... Yeah, yeah. he showed up, he's like, I told you it was going to snow this year. Like, he is he is not phased by any of the horrors we have just seen. Yeah, he looked like, yeah, no big deal. I fought one of I these remember, blob I things. Don't, I don't remember seeing him before that. Like, he just showed up after the thing exploded. He was, um, they, they cut to him a few times. Okay. Uh, when they have their little Mexican standoff, and you do see him earlier when Kevin Dillon goes in to retrieve a couple of socket wrenches from him, that he does use later. Hmm. I think he like beats a hazmat commando over the head with it or something. In addition to unlocking a door or two. So we fade to a pretty happy scene. I mean, the blob has been beaten. Yeah. Uh, I like that it has a little bit of a happy ending, or. Does it? Yeah, because we we go to the uh, the preacher's traveling road show that he's got. Apparently, he hasn't stayed in town. His face is all bur- half of his face is burnt off. It's very much something out of a Stephen King novel here. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because there's like th- the cornfields. There's the cornfields, and there's the just wheat. a small gathering of like lonely people in this tent. Yeah, here in this crackpot talk about the end of the world. It's yeah, it's very well. Again, you know, it goes back to uh, the inf- the inspiration of Randall Flag. You know, he's he's the villain of both the Stand and the Dark Tower series, and he is a a cult of personality with doomsday ambitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this 
you know, we have the preacher sort of giving his his prophecy speech about how the day of reckoning is coming and you know, and we and we realize at the very end there that he has kept his mason jar full of little blob. And yeah, that he's it's squirming around in there. And that he's probably gonna it's very soon from now generate his own doomsday. Yeah, what would stop the blob if it gets big enough? Nothing. Yeah. As as in the X Men, nothing stops the blob. Nothing stops the blob. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the movie cuts out, and it's a satisfying picture. I mean, this was a part of the '80s, uh, '50 sci-fi reboots. So there was the Fly and the Thing. Those are the most well known and the best. Uh, there was Invaders from Mars, and in the very late, the very end of the '70s, they did have the Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake. Um. But yeah, this, this. So yeah, this was an era of really good remakes. Yeah, I like all of those movies, uh, especially but, you know, the but Fly other, and the Thing. But other than the Fly, none of them did well. No, most of them tanked at the box office for whatever reason. This movie came out like a couple weeks after Die Hard, mm-hmm. um, and I think Nightmare on Elm Street Four and Halloween Four were kind of taking up the horror market at the time. Yeah, it opened up against those. The thing, you know, had the unfortunate uh, uh, the same summer as E.T. Yeah, like a couple weeks apart. So it's... nobody's nobody's gonna see that really disgusting yeah. alien movie after they've seen the friendliest alien of yeah. all time. And actually, all of those remakes I mentioned are all, I think, legitimately scary. Oh yes, they're disturbing. At least you know the flies disturbing in its own way. Invaders from Mars, the Toby Hooper remake. Uh, was really scary to me as a child. Uh, it does great stuff with like how the kid. Oh, yeah, has I, to I think I think that next. period was probably the. F- I, I think that period was probably the finest we ever got in sci-fi horror. Really, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say you know, arguably starting in the late seventies with the first Alien film, but. Alien was kind of the I think the segue into the eighties. I mean, some people say the original Star Wars. Sure. But well, it, in many ways, yeah, I can see that too. I can see that too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I I really can't recommend this movie enough. I really enjoy it as a piece of cosmic horror and as maybe some of the most repulsive body horror this side of David Cronenberg. Um, d- definitely it delivers in all of those. Um, the effects for the ver- for the most part up until like the green screening stuff are extremely effective. And with this, I would say uh, Frank Darabont truly arrived as somebody who was going to have a really big influence on horror for years to come. Mm-hmm. Poor Chuck Russell has not had the same luck. I think he did The Mask, and then The Scorpion King, and then nothing. Yeah. I mean, he, he started off strong with Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and The Blob, and yeah, he really hasn't done anything since... He has a, a lower-budget movie that's listed on IMDb that's... Coming out next year or this year, but he's been he's been trying to launch a lot of things in the last eight years that just never took off. Uh, he tried to do a T.J. Hooker movie that never. Yeah, I can happened. see how that didn't work. No. Um, well, Darabont himself has had trouble. He's wanted to make a Fahrenheit four five one movie for like fifteen years now. Yeah, but uh, you know, apparently that issue is that they can't. They keep telling Darabont that they love his script. He's you're very talented, but. They just can't market it to 15-year-olds. Yeah, it's sci-fi, you know. I think in an age of, you know, 
gosh, uh, Minority Report was over 10 years ago, but I think an age of like a few hard, harder sci-fi movies like Elysium, even though it wasn't very good coming out, um, I, I don't see why they can't make a Fahrenheit 451 movie. I, I think in an age where Darabont has already made the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile, you can let him do another literary adaptation of Ray Bradbury. I mean... Mm-hmm. The, the, I think the audience for those things isn't necessarily the 15-year-old set either. No, uh, but heck, it would make a lot of English departments at high schools happy. But you know what, I mean, that that's just a pervasive problem with horror right now anyway, and that's something that we'll definitely get back to once we cover Trick or Treat at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. But uh, next week, what are we covering? Oh, next week, we are tackling... Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. Reanimator, which is very loosely based on the Lovecraft story. So you'll you'll hear more of me yapping about Lovecraft. I'm I'm planning to reread the original stories uh, before I come on the air next week. So. Well, likewise, so I'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, it's it's a fantastic, uh, campy gore fest of a movie. It's, um, it's it's lived on in cult status for a very good reason. It's definitely also the funniest of Lovecraft's stories. It's one of the few that he deliberately inserted humor into. It was and, intended as, I think, a parody of Frankenstein. Yes. And a very early contributor to the uh, the zombie mythos, mm. um, yep. as we know it now. But, uh, you know, it's especially that movie is especially memorable for me with just Jeffrey Combs over the top performance. And I really can't wait to talk about it. I love his uh, Herbert West. He's yes, one so, of my, well, I think one of the great uh, movie mad scientists just from that movie alone. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that, guys. Uh, Stay bloody. <laughs> Stay bloody. And beyond. This is Burton Cody. This is Casey Mitchum. All right, y'all take care. Via Condios. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor. Right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob.